today on the eWork podcast, Amar Shah on investing in deep tech startups. Hello and welcome to this episode of the eWork podcast. My name is Lian Burma and this is the space where founders get to share their stories of how they got an idea and turned it into a profitable business. Today's guest is Amar Shah. Amar has a PhD in machine learning from Cambridge. He applied his knowledge while working at Goldman Sachs and later at NASA. In 2017, he co-founded WAVE with the ambition to change autonomous driving. At the moment, he is a co-founding advisor at Charm Therapeutics and founder of Dijan Capital, a VC firm focusing on deep tech investments. Amar, it's great to have you on our podcast today. Thank you. Nice to be here. Always nice to have founders join our podcast for a good conversation. And today we're talking about investing in deep tech. Uh, startups. So with your firm, Dion Capital, you're investing mostly in deep tech startups. What do you think is the main difference in, I guess, the investment thesis uh, between investing in really deep tech compared to more, I guess, conventional startups? I believe the key difference is that the path from having IP or some technology to a product, which is generating sales and profits, is very messy and non-linear. Uh, performance is often hard to define in the early stages of a deep tech company. You don't have readily formed metrics like daily active users, revenue growth, capital TV ratios, which are really guidance to most, say, enterprise SaaS type companies or, or many of the other companies you hear about in the startup world. In deep tech, even defining what success means, uh, particularly within a short time frame, is incredibly hard to do. It's, it's unclear what are the best early steps to take to realize your long-term vision and very difficult to create this dynamic program backwards from a 10-year vision, especially in a world where technology is changing every few days, weeks, and months. So this is a key difference in deep tech investing. Um, it makes capital deployment complicated within a startup framework even determining what your milestones should be very noisy. So it requires a more unique form of thinking, which is able to account for uncertainty, changes to plans, perhaps more so than most other startups. It also requires some level of scientific understanding from both, of course, the founders, but also the investors, in my opinion, to be able to guide on a correct directional change or path along the journey in the very nascent stages of the business. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And and does that mean that investors in deep tech ventures need to be okay with, I guess, even more uncertainty than um, investors in conventional startups? I believe so, or in general. I what I like about deep tech as an asset class or invest in, and why I think it's attractive to investors is the variance in the potential outcome is very large. You can get massive outcomes like Tesla. Often they fail also. However, when they fail, they can fail softly because of the inherent quality of the team, the IP in the company. And so whilst there is a lot of uncertainty, often deep tech is attractive because it's hard to completely lose your whole investment because whatever IP or data is generated in the process will have inherent value to somebody. So it requires a different style of investing. In other categories, 
particularly in B2C, for example, you tend to have a few very big winners and dozens and dozens of absolute failures. Uh, this doesn't seem to be as common in good deep tech ventures because of this downside protection in your IP. And so evaluating risk is slightly different in deep tech investing than in completely radical B2C companies. And th this makes it, uh, I wouldn't say more uncertain, but just a different type of challenge when evaluating an opportunity. That makes sense. And and I think you just mentioned um, the team being important in uh, deep tech investing. And I think that's what we always hear from investors, especially at the early stage, like team is important. What is it you look for in, in a deep tech founder? When do you think, yeah, this is a founder or a founding team that I want to back? Right. So I think for this question, I'm going to go slightly against the grain. I believe that conventional answer would be to look for someone with scientific excellence and expertise in a certain niche, which they are looking to productize and commercialize. That sounds like the obvious way to go. But the problem with many people who have developed this scientific expertise is that they probably have gone through a PhD program where they have had a lot of autonomy. They mm -hmm. have been in charge of the experimentation. They have analyzed their own data. They have been their own writer and marketer of their academic papers or posters, and they've worked very independently, giving them a lot of autonomous skills. Conversely, I think a deep tech startup requires a plethora of skill sets. And actually the more valuable skill for a leader is to be able to attract good talent across the different areas in which they are operating and convey very clearly the long-term vision which should be embedded in the culture of the whole entity, such that all of the participants have particular responsibilities and accountability directed towards the bigger mission of the company. So actually, I believe good scientific communication and business communication is perhaps the most vital thing a founder in a deep tech company should have. And I think this is based on some of my experiences where I perhaps was uh, amongst the company only average in any particular vertical in terms of my understanding of that vertical. And the role I played was to attract, empower, give responsibility and accountability to people far better than I am in their respective roles. So looking for somebody who has some technical training and ability, a clear vision and the ability to attract employees and investors with that vision is really the main thing I like to screen for in, in the founder's personality. So that's, that means they might not have done a PhD. How do you, how do you see these founders then come up with these pretty specific, I guess, ideas usually? Is it, is it because they're close to that field or they know people in that field? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, uh, I should probably add to my previous comment. I don't think it needs to be somebody non-scientific. I just think often the skills of communicating are underappreciated. I think some scientific training is a given, usually master's level, maybe four. Uh, there are rare exceptions who have had a curiosity before any university training in particular fields and can actually acquire world-class level of knowledge there. But more, more often than not, I do think that some level of scientific training helps. After that, I, I do think it's about having uh, other peers going out and speaking to people in communities, building and technologies you're interested in and really getting connected to the leading 
academic labs or even companies in the, in the uh, sphere of interest and befriending the pioneers of that space or maybe the layer below them to try to get a feel of what is going on and acquire more knowledge. But inherently, I believe it needs to be a joint effort of, of multiple individuals and, and, and that's absolutely fine. You don't need to rely on one founder to have all of the superpowers required to start a company, as long as they are good at connecting the dots and the people to, to move towards a vision and as aware as possible of their own deficiencies. Does that mean you usually invest in startup teams rather than individuals? I typically do like to meet at least two co-founders building a project and ideally ones who have already begun to onboard or, or work with early employees to fill in the gaps and if not are incredibly focused and aware of where they need to buff, bulk up their expertise and knowledge to address a difficult problem. It's possible to do, we've seen many teams do it in the past, but just having a clear direction in how to bring in those skill sets is, is something I very much screen for. Yeah, and, and you already mentioned it, it's usually very, it's, it's not a linear path in the development of the technology. Sometimes you don't even know where to, where to start or where to go in a few years. What do you look for besides the founding team when you're trying to invest in a company? What, is there some sort of traction they already need to have or what do you look for? I personally tend to invest pre-seed where traction is uh, incredibly wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a bit of a, a big ask to, to, to request any traction. However, there should be a clear IP edge or knowledge base that the team knows they are capitalizing on and some form of evidence or proof that this is going to mean, be an edge they can maintain for a long time and actually build on it. That requires uh, potentially literature research across the scientific area or analysis of competitors and where investments have gone in the near past in uh, a similar product elsewhere. And uh, also an analysis of why now uh, is a good time to build whatever the proposal is. Uh, so I think traction is perhaps not the right thing to look for, but a clear vision and analysis of who, what, why, where, and how is uh, often sufficient combined with a track record of excellence in previous endeavors, whether that's in ac academia or in industry or, or even in their personal lives, for example, um, is something you look for. And uh, fundamentally at BC, you're backing uh, the people right. and their vision and assessing their ability to execute that vision and alignment and drive to do so. So often it's it's nice to look for the founders why. I have cases where founders are working on problems in biotech, very much inspired by their personal experiences of it in their families. That's a very strong why for someone uh, waking up every day and uh, something I want to back as opposed to a purely financial goal. Um, so this is these are the themes that I look for early on. Uh, of course, as as companies grow, as they get closer to seed and series A, they need to have shown some evidence of converting what I've just described into traction with products and customers. Perhaps not clear revenue. I that would be ideal, but at least signs that commercial entities or or whoever the customer is is showing extreme interest in what the founders are building. Uh, but that's usually a little bit later than where I invest. 
that actually sounds a lot like, um, so in this podcast, we've also interviewed quite some investors that are more into the B2B sales space, et cetera. And it sounds very similar what you're looking at, like team, uh, market size, competitors, uh, why now, what can we, how is our position, I guess, defensible? So if you see, if you would have to give advice to deep tech founders in how they need to pitch to you, usually we find on this internet, like a lot of uh, slide decks, right? These frameworks with 10 slides, with the team, market, solution, etc. Is that also a template that can work for deep tech companies or is there something else you want them to focus on more or additional slides or what does that look like? Yeah, this is somewhat challenging and often the pitfall that I see technical founders fall into is providing too much information on their presentations, perhaps because they're used to having uh, scientific scrutiny in academic environment where you need to be very clear about your analysis and your evidence for your suggestions. I think uh, the way around it uh, to uh, when approaching investments is to have a lean pitch deck, probably quite similar to any other sector uh, with the, as you say, the general 10 slide template, trying to avoid going into significant details. I would view this as a teaser. It's really a mechanism to hook an investor into wanting to speak to you further. In deep tech, I would highly recommend supplementary to this pitch deck to have a either a white paper or another document that's slightly more fleshed out, explaining more of the technical innovation and digging a bit deeper into what you're actually building. And I, I think this is an important separation to make just to fit into the way venture capital folk work. They like to quickly know whether or not they want to dive deeper. And if you only give the detailed document up front, it'll probably end up in the bottom of a pile just because the time cost for this person is too high to even get to a initial assessment of if they're interested. So I personally in deep tech would suggest for the slide deck to be just a hook to get somebody a high level overview of who you are, what you're doing, why, and have a second document, uh, which is only shared if interest is shown in, in the first case, um, that that would be my advice. And this is mostly to optimize for the human psychology of uh, very busy venture capitalists who look at dozens of things every week. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we hear so often that they're so busy that you really need to find a hook to get them interested and maybe to go on about that a little bit because you're saying a white paper that they can read later on i know that you have a technical background you co-founded a deep uh, tech venture and you probably understand most of these white papers is that something you recommend founders to look for that they look for investors that understand exactly what they're doing that have more of a feel for for the field they're in. I can imagine it sometimes becomes very technical and someone who studied economics or business might not fully understand what's going on. Yes, I think it's very kind of you to say I would understand the white paper is actually not true. I probably understand uh, as much or as little as anyone else. I think the difference is I'm willing to give it a read and show enthusiasm for learning what the founder is doing. And so rather than the founder having somebody who knows what they're working on, they have somebody who is interested. And that is a big deal in building a deep tech startup, which is typically very intellectually lonely. You're usually so far ahead in your specific field that you can't really have a sparring partner 
in, in that environment in the way you perhaps would have had in your scientific lab. And so an investor who's at least willing to read and question anything from in the details is very useful. This person ends up being a fan. If they become a fan, they don't need to fully understand what you're doing, but they're clearly enthusiastic about it. Once they're a fan, they become a champion. They actually go out and champion what you're building to other important people who you will need later on, whether that's follow-on investors, senior hires you want to make along the way. And this is why somebody who engages with your detailed white paper, whether or not they fully understand it, it's a good sign for the founder to say, okay, this person is interested. They're going to be able to convince somebody later and help me to convince somebody later to participate as a, an employee or as an investor. And so this is why I think it's good for investors to pay attention to these details and for founders to look for investors who are interested in those details and not just the financial return. So I think of it as a two-way screening process in that sense. And is there anything else you think founders should look for in investors that want to invest in their deep tech company? Yeah, again, I would say similar to how uh, I look for the founder's why, it would be good to evaluate the why of the investor. Why is this investor interested in what I'm building? Are they intellectually interested in the science? Do they believe this is solving a re real world problem that they're passionate about? I would think about these types of topics, but also analyze the style of investor they are. Are they multi-stage fund? Are they a uh, angel? Are they uh, just a seed fund? And, and this is relevant because it can give you insights into their longer term investing plans. If they're an angel, they're unlikely to do many follow-on rounds and, and they're unlikely to lead your seed and series A round. If they're a multi-stage fund, conversely, they may not, uh, they may not pay attention to you until you become a more meaningful company. So they could be buying optionality by investing in your pre-seed or seed rounds. So trying to understand the motivation of the investor is something founders should do, uh, both from a science and a product side, but also from an investment strategy side, just to ensure alignment in what you're building. Yeah. I can imagine that a lot of deep tech companies need quite some follow-up funding before they become profitable. I can understand why that's an important thing to understand uh, as a founder. That brings us almost to the closing of our podcast already. And at the end, we always want to ask our guests if our listeners have to take one thing away from that podcast, what would it be? What's the ultimate advice you would want to give our listeners today? I believe my strongest view, especially operating in Europe, is to think bigger and not be limited by your own skill set. You can build teams if you have a clear vision that is compelling. People will want to work for you. I've experienced this in my startup. If you're working on an interesting problem with a clear vision and passion, you will attract great people and great people together with yourself can build things beyond your wildest dreams. As we have seen quite a lot of this in the US. Unfortunately, we haven't in, in Europe. I strongly believe we have the talent to do it in Europe. We just are currently lacking enough visionaries to embark on that path. And uh, I, I just would recommend and suggest, encourage everybody to believe in themselves in, in a big vision and really shoot for the moon. And that That's essentially what, what I would suggest. I love that. Shoot for the moon. That's, uh, we would love to see that in Europe. I agree. And with 
more and more countries having these visas that allow people with, I believe, just higher education to just move there to find a job without a lot of strings attached. Actually, the finding of the talent in Europe might be coming, uh, might be easier now as well. So hopefully it's possible. I believe it is. I really do. Amazing. Well, with that, I wanted to close the podcast and say thank you so much, Amar, for appearing on our podcast. And we hope to see you soon again. Thank you very much. Have a great day. This was Leon Burma interviewing Amar Shah on investing in deep tech startups. Thank you for listening. 